Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership signals that turn culture into competitive advantage. I'm excited that our guests today are Jeff Jeff Grimshaw and Lynn Vissio. Jeff has worked with senior leaders for more than 25 years. Along the way, he's helped hundreds of executives in dozens of companies to align people and strategy to to produce important business results. Jeff is the co-author of two books and has also published articles in Chief Executive Magazine, Chief Learning Officer, Conference Board Review, Strategy and Leadership, and other journals. Lynn Vissio architects culture-shaping strategy for leaders and top teams. She brings her 25 years of experience as she works with clients from uh, problem identification to customized design through to successful implementation making sure they're equipped for long-term sustainable results. She has graduate degrees from the University of New Hampshire, New York Medical College, and Temple University. So today we're going to focus on your organization's culture. It's either an asset or a liability. At this very moment, your culture is helping your business performance or hurting it. Jeff and Lynn are here to discuss their new book, Five Frequencies, Leadership Signals That Turn Culture Into Competitive Advantage. It seeks to answer one of the most critical questions facing leaders and organizations today. How do you turn your business culture into a sustainable source of competitive advantage? So during the interview, we're going to talk in general about the problem that they are trying to solve, the book in general, and then we're going to go in the third segment into very specific implementable results that you can take back and start to use immediately. So welcome, Jeff and Lynn. Thanks, Maureen. We're really happy to be here. So let's jump into the book, or is there anything you want to tell our listeners about yourselves before we go uh, talking about the book. No, I think we should jump right in. You, you gave a very flattering and comprehensive introduction, so uh, uh, we're eager to jump in and talk about the book. Great, thank you. So throughout the book, you provide examples of well-known companies and leaders that failed in leadership and others far less known uh, to have succeeded. Can you touch on a few of them to help our listeners understand success and failure as it relates to culture? Yeah, so when it comes to the failures, I think the first one that comes to mind is Wells Fargo. You know, um, I don't know any leader who does not have a copy of Good to Great 
on their shelves. In fact, I'm I'm looking at Lynn's copy of Good to Great right now, and one of the comp- one of the the companies that Jim Collins profiled in Good to Great in a very positive way, of course, was Wells Fargo, and I think it was well deserved. But um, they let some bad things happen with their culture in terms of uh, distortions in what they rewarded and in what they tolerated. And uh, now they are uh, currently, according to a Barron survey, the uh, least respected company in America um, uh, underneath uh, Philip Morris. So that's quite a fall uh, from going good to great to great to, to, to awful. And it all comes back to culture. That's a negative example. In the book, we talk about some negative examples, but we're actually far more interested in the positive examples. One of them is uh, DBS, Development Bank of Singapore, and uh, the joke used to be 10 years ago that DBS uh, stood for damn bloody slow. But they embarked about that same time on a culture change that was really focused on greater innovation, greater agility, and greater customer centricity and, uh, and speed. And uh, 10 years later, they are now widely recognized as the, either among the best banks in Asia or the best bank in Asia. Another quick example closer to home is we profile in the book is the uh, fire department, city of Detroit, and Commissioner Eric Jones, who took uh, a fire department that was really through the city's bankruptcy had been through some terrible things. People didn't have the equipment. Morale was terrible. He set out to change the culture in some very specific ways, and business... uh, business performance, it's not really how they think of it, but performance has followed. The uh, response times for the City of Detroit Fire Department um, have gone, have, they've cut them in half as the culture has uh, been strengthened. So that's part of what we try to do in the book is not just highlight the negative stuff that people have heard of, but bring out some positive examples that maybe people would not have heard of otherwise. Now, I assume that you use those positive examples also to validate your your hypotheses and, and what you've proven out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really where the five frequencies comes in. So then let's jump into what are the five frequencies? So in short, the, the five frequencies is really a framework for leadership effectiveness in general. But more specifically, it's for it's a framework for how leaders can be effective culture shapers inside their organizations. And, and to your point, Maureen, it's, it's based on what we've learned from 20 years of leadership research. And what we've learned is that intentionally or unintentionally, leaders create culture through the signals that they broadcast on what we call five frequencies. And the five frequencies are frequency one, their decisions and actions, Frequency two, what leaders choose to reward and recognize. Frequency three, in the way of behavior and performance, what a leader will tolerate or choose not to tolerate. Frequency four, informal communication, or just how leaders show up day to day. And frequency five, their formal communication. And we use this five frequencies framework because it's impactful. It works. Um, But also because it's, it's sticky. It's really, it's intuitive. It's common sense. Um, it's not necessarily easy for leaders to do all these things and do them well, but it's easy for leaders to wrap their heads around the concepts of the five frequencies. And that's especially true when we help equip them with practical coaching points or what we call signal boosts. So signal boosts are ways that they can take practical action across the five frequencies. 
And so we'll be talking specifically about what those signals are. And what you say does seem intuitive, but not frequently practiced, maybe, that we can all think of. Go go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, a lot of times people go, well, this is just advanced common sense. You're not revealing any rocket science here. And we say, absolutely. And so why aren't you doing it? So, yeah, there's there's no claim to any big revelation here. It's just about giving people the framework and, and then uh, supporting them and having the discipline to do these things. Shape culture by design so that you really can create culture as a source of competitive advantage. Well, and for me, frameworks are really important because they make what, what we may call common sense repeatable. That if I'm attending to it, we know that we lose weight when we work out and don't eat as much and don't drink as much. And yet, if we look at the obesity rate in the U.S., um, it, it's a problem. So, so clearly, frameworks start and then discipline to implement what makes sense uh, will help organizations, I'm sure, get to uh, what you're talking about, that culture is a sustainable advantage. Well said. So, um, are there any other examples, now that we know what the five frequencies are, that you want to draw through and and talk about how all five play in a specific organization, or do you want us to move to something different? Well, I think that the... um uh, I think that we could we could cover any one of those kinds of uh, examples. You know, if you just go back, uh, one of the other leaders that we feature in the book is uh, Cindy Paskey, who runs a company called S3, Strategic Staffing Solutions. And if you think about what she's done, she's got an organization that's centered in Detroit, but is uh, she, her, her culture is no question a source of competitive advantage. And if you think about the first frequency, her, her decisions and actions, uh, they do some very uh, bold things. There's nothing that she has. She, they ask people to work hard. There's nothing that they ask people to do uh, that she isn't willing to do. They do bold things in the community. They, uh, uh, they are, uh, it, it's an organization where you're expected to be innovative. And so, you know, she's, she's consistent. And those signals are consistent for her in terms of what's rewarded and recognized. Signal or frequency number two, uh, you get rewarded really well there, but the, the rewards are tied very explicitly to innovation and hard work. In terms of what's tolerated, if you have a crummy attitude or if you are a nice person but you're not hitting your numbers, that's probably not what they're going to tolerate. In terms of how you show up informally, uh, the, uh, the company uh, Logo happens to be in green, and so uh, Cindy, who is a really prolific leader in in Detroit business, uh, has dyed her hair green. So in terms of how she shows up informally, that really is a huge uh, influence on culture. Again, if she wasn't doing sending great signals on the other frequencies, uh, then it should just be seen as probably a weird lady with green hair. But because how she shows up informally with the green hair is tied to strong signals that she's deliberately sending on the other frequencies, it has a big impact, and nobody would question whether that culture is a source of competitive advantage. And what she does on the fifth frequency, formal communication, she makes sure that people are constantly in her organization or pulled into the storyline about where we're going and how we're going to get there and what's the latest uh, challenges that we're up against, what are our latest successes. She doesn't make people depend on the rumor mill. Uh, They're open and transparent and relevant with the information they provide to folks. 
so that's just one example of a really terrific, innovative leader who does all these things, strong, steady signals on five frequencies, and uh, there just isn't any question about whether that culture that she's created and sustained uh, gives competitive advantage to Strategic Staffing Solutions, her growing business. So I want to ask a question just because this came up with a client this morning, the idea of what's tolerated. So I'm working with someone uh, who has an executive who's delivering solid results, but I would argue his uh, approach is outdated at best uh, and um, command and control would be a polite maybe reference to him and the conversation was around what what do you do when someone's delivering positive results but they're acting contrary to what we say we care about and i'm assuming again in the frequencies you help clients deal with these fairly complex solution uh, situations right yeah well, what is- probably both like to take a bite at this apple because it's a conversation that we both care deeply about. But, Lynn, I'll let you go for it. Well, thanks, Jeff. One of the things we talk about in the book, one of the signal boosts we share is something we call losing your excuses. And and as leaders, you know, we have to choose um, whether or not performance is more important. You know, performance in the short run is ultimately more performance, uh, more important than culture in the long run. So if we allow a high performer to get away with something that ultimately is, is a bad behavior or less than uh, effective leadership practices, um, what we're basically saying is short-term results are more important than our long-term culture. And in some instances, long-term culture leads to, you know, long-term performance. So, you know, leaders need to just make a decision about handling those type of situations and basically, you know, putting their foot down and saying there are certain things we won't tolerate even from our high performers. And when a leader is willing to do that, um, to, you know, to stand up and say we won't tolerate something even from a high performer, that sends a, a tremendously powerful message to everyone else about, beha- you know, behavior and expectations. So when you say you won't tolerate poor behavior, is, is that a performance you don't get your raise this year? Or do you go all the way to making the statement publicly that, that when you uh, have a tirade in a, a leadership team meeting, uh, you are asked to leave? Yeah. I think or do you exit? It's important to have clear and credible expectations, and I think it's tough to hold people accountable for expectations that have never been communicated to them in a way that that is clear and credible. But it does mean making tough decisions. One of the things that, there's a couple of mantras that I think are, are useful here. One of the things that we say is, uh, if, it, if, if, it, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a value. Meaning, as we think about what our values are, uh, consultants and coaches and other people have sort of uh, uh, led to that word value being divorced from its economic origins. But if you think about something that you value, that means that you actually will exchange something for it. And so when we put words on posters and say these are our values, the real test of whether that's actually what we value is whether we're willing to make a sacrifice for it. So if we say that we value integrity or we say that we value teamwork, but then we have people show up who are getting results in the short term but actually are not playing with teamwork or not operating with integrity, then we've shown that we actually don't value those things at all. The second mantra we say is that leaders who are great culture shapers are long-term greedy. 
So what that means is that we're always self-interested. Any business leader is self-interested, but the question is how short are the time horizons by which we calculate return on investment? If I am a leader who is putting up with uh, bad behavior from an employee who is getting good results, even though I know it's going to cost us in the long run, even though I know it's poisonous and toxic to the culture, then what that means is I'm making, I'm short-term greedy. I'm making choices that have, uh, based on a short time horizon for calculating ROI. If I get rid of somebody or make sure that they've suffered some consequences for their bad behavior, because I know the long-term downstream consequences of bad behavior on our culture and everybody's performance, then I'm being long-term greedy, which really just means I'm being, I'm, I'm operating in the self-interest of the organization with a longer time horizon for calculating return on investment. Beautiful. I love the tie to time to return on investment. So we're going to go on our first break. And I would encourage our listeners to think about this idea of what we value, our our organizational values, being tied to our ROI. Do we actually connect the, the, the things we say we value with the economic value of our business? We'll be right, right back with Jeff and Lynn. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders co-creating your future. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. We're talking about leadership signals that turn culture into competitive advantage with Jeff Grimshaw and Lynn Vissio. Um, so 
as we start segment two, you write about how the five frequencies fit into a larger framework for turning culture into competitive advantages, uh, competitive advantage. What are some of the key takeaways that can that our listeners can use to actually help culture become an advantage rather than just an unconscious thing that we talk about but don't consciously shape? Yeah. Well, you know, almost every leader we ever talk to agrees that culture is important. But then you say, well, what are you doing about it? A lot of times what they'll say is, well, you know, that's just it's kind of an esoteric concept. We're not doing much of anything. We believe that, uh, like most important things in business, that it's pretty tough to manage what you're not measuring. So one of the most important things that we advocate, at least we think it's important, is that you have to come up with a culture metric. And to come up with a culture metric, you have to say, okay, so what is the culture? What is the culture that, if that was in place, would give us a source of competitive advantage? That's what we spend a lot of time doing with our clients is helping them define their desired state culture. And there's no one-size-fits-all model. You know, we, we work really closely. I'm spending all day tomorrow with the senior team at a nuclear power plant. What their desired state culture looks like is going to be a heck of a lot different than what the uh, desired state culture looks like at, for example, a startup or an organization that's big and bureaucratic but wants to move with much greater agility. And the framework that we use is we say, in the culture that gives you a source of competitive advantage, what do all of your employees consistently know and feel F-E-E-L. I have to say, spell it out because I grew up in southern Utah, and so the way that I say feel, F-I-L-L, and F-E-E-L sounds the same to most listeners. So what do you need people to know and to feel and to do? So it's about heart, minds, and hands. What do they understand? What are they, how are they showing up attitudinally? And ultimately, what are they doing? So, for example, at one of the uh, large pharmaceutical companies that's trying to be much more agile and innovative, some of the things that their top leaders said that they need in their culture for people to feel if their culture is going to become a source of competitive advantage is for employees to feel like they can fail fast and learn from it and that they can say no or challenge additional work to ensure they are focused on a few key priorities. Uh, They need to feel like this is a place where we're entrepreneurial, pragmatic, and comfortable with experimentation and risk. And then in terms of what they need people to do, they need people to speak up and contribute They need people to take initiative and just go for it. They need people to reach out and pool ideas and resources to make great things happen. They have to treat feedback as a gift. And again, there's no one-size-fits-all model, but those are some of the things that the leaders of one specific organization said that they needed their people to know, feel, and do. That's what their desired state culture is. And so for any of your listeners, we'd encourage them to go through the same exercise. If your culture is going to be a source of competitive advantage, Instead of just going to some engagement survey provider and going, oh, well, you know, that's a one-size-fits-all model for what engagement looks like. Say, you know what, in a culture that is actually a source of competitive advantage for us, what do people know, feel, and do? Debate the answers and then try to get a measurement, see where you are now, and then start to work on closing the gap between the culture you have and the culture you need. So does that mean you create customized surveys and how often do you do them? Yeah, we, we uh, yeah, so, so for example, at this nuclear power plant, we are debating tomorrow what they need people to know, feel, and do if they're going to move into the top quartile 
of nuclear power plants all around the world. We're going to debate that. They're going to have 50 answers uh, in terms of what they want people to know, feel, and do. We're going to uh, work through debate to knock it down to about 20 total items. In two weeks, we'll get a baseline measurement, so we'll know where they stand. And then, using the five frequencies, they will get to work on culture-shaping experiments to close that gap between the culture they have and the culture they need. And in December, we'll measure again to see uh, where they've moved the needle and so what they should double down on and where they need to recalibrate. So it really is just a process of treating culture like we treat a lot of things. Measure, work on moving the needle, measure again, learn, evaluate what worked and what didn't work, and then continue the process in a in a, in a pursuit of continuous uh, improvement. I love that you treat culture as something that's measurable and shapeable rather than um, it, it's, it's the folklore that we talk about, which is also true, but that's a whole lot harder to change than having concrete. We know that these behaviors, leadership behaviors, these performance measures, uh, these reinforcement systems drive specific behaviors. And I assume that they're very different in a nuclear power plant than a pharmaceutical that's trying to be pharmaceutical company that's trying to uh, deliver new products regularly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's really about helping the... One of the things that is important to us is that at the end of the day, the leadership team feels like they own their own culture metric. The consultant, us as outside consultants, mm-hmm. didn't come in and tell them to measure. They figure out what their, what their desired state culture looks like. And then when they get crummy scores, they can't go, oh, well, that doesn't matter anyway. No, you are the ones who defined this metric, so now you have to care about the results. Or change the metric. Or change the metric and decide that what you declared for was probably too uh, aggressive for you and maybe you need to um, have a reality check. You're right, Marie. <laughs> okay, so then you've talked about the fourth frequency, showing up informally. You write that leaders need to consistently make employees feel empowered to speak up, solve problems, suggest improvements, and take smart risks to make positive change. Yet employees don't feel, F-E-E-L, or do things for the long term unless they perceive they operate in a culture that provides psychological safety. Um, how will leaders instill this sense of safety, especially when we're when you're doing what you're doing with this uh, nuclear organization that we're asking people to change their behaviors? So I know in the past I do X. I uh, I am uh, very consistent and. Uh, behave in a way that is predictable and now you may be asking me to take more risks and be a little more agile how, how do you create the safety for me so that I'm actually willing to do that that's a great question so the first thing might be to define like what is psychological safety what is an environment of psychological safety what does that look and feel like and by definition that is really one where people feel like they can take risks They can take risks without feeling nervous or concerned or insecure or potentially embarrassed about what the outcome of that risk might be, Um, an environment where they feel like they can do those things without fear of being punished or having there uh, be some kind of retribution or negative consequences if, in fact, the risk doesn't play out the way they had hoped. So that's the key, creating that, that kind of environment. 
And so then the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we create this kind of environment where people that feel that sense of safety and security and they're willing to take risks? And, and I think there's really it's sort of a two-pronged approach. And I think the first piece, it starts with leaders and how, as a leader, how you show up, right, personally. So as a leader, do you act with humility? Or are you, as a leader, you know, the smarty pants, the know-it-all, the person who's never wrong, who, you know, has all the right answers? Because if that's what you role model, um, that's setting an expectation, right? You're, you're role modeling and setting the expectation for everyone else that this is what success looks like, you know, particularly at the next level. So I think part one is thinking about how you show up as a leader and showing up with a sense of humility, right? Being able to admit your own mistakes, learn from those mistakes, saying that, you know, I always reserve the right to get smarter, to learn from experiences. Um, It means also being willing to listen to the people around you, you know, encouraging lots of people around you to weigh in on decisions, to share their ideas, right? Because you don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. So, number one is it starts with you as a leader and how you show up, your own sense of sort of humility, your willingness to learn, um, willingness to make mistakes, learn from mistakes, and admit those, you know, admit those and learn from them publicly. And then the second part is really how as a leader you engage with others, your team members, your peers, right, how you set the stage for those team members to engage with each other. What kinds of things do you do to sort of create this environment where people are going to feel this sense of, you know, safety, security, and freedom to speak candidly? So things like, um, you know, conducting lessons learned exercises after every significant event or activity, whether it was a success or a failure, do you do that? Um, do you practice something we call DAWA, you know, D-A-W-A-W, don't ask who, ask why. So whether in a lessons learned or somewhere else, if something goes wrong, do we point fingers or do we actually find root causes? Do we find why that thing happened without pointing a finger at a person that we think was responsible? Do you encourage risk-taking as a leader in innovation? Or do you typically take more of a let's leave well enough, you know, alone approach? Do you invest? Like, where are your investments? Investments of your time, relational capital, money? Are you investing in, in, in risk-taking and in smart risk-taking and, you know, innovation and innovating? Do you reward people that fail? Right? And do you do these things publicly so that people can actually see that, you know, these are the ways you think. These are the things that you think are important. This is where you're willing to, you know, stake your claim, to reward, to recognize that the decisions you make, the actions you take are all in line and in sync with doing things that we would, you know, consider um, could, you know, could be done in, a, in an environment of psychological safety. So, you know, again, I think it's, you know, this two-pronged approach, which is, you know, thinking about how you show up as a leader and also thinking about some of the processes you put in place and the ways you help other people engage with you and with each other that creates this. And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this is something that when leaders do this, it takes time. You know, people need to see time and time again that they, you know, that they can be safe, that their peers are safe when they, you know, when they raise an uncomfortable issue or, you know, speak with candor when they're the only one that feels X when everyone else speaks, you know, feels Y. Great. Thank you. So I think that was a really helpful answer. Now let's move on to the fifth frequency. Formal communication is in some ways the least important because you can't meaningfully change culture on this frequency alone. So what role does it play as one of the frequencies? It's really about amplification. You know, if you have, um, if, if you uh, invest uh, great resources and do really cool stuff in your formal communications, but you're sending uh, different kinds of signals 
it's, uh, on frequencies one through four, what you reward and recognize, your decisions and actions, what you tolerate, how you show up informally, then people are going to, in the best case, ignore your formal communications, and in the worst case, uh, 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 even worse, mock and make fun of them because they'll see how divorced they are from reality. One of the case studies that we still talk about is how uh, Enron, you know, we've mostly forgotten about Enron, but Enron used to win awards and for their amazing, amazing uh, formal communication products. They had these great uh, videos where uh, the senior team would talk about how everything at Enron was based on respect, integrity, communication, and excellence. And if you think about, you know, you can have awesome videos about, yeah, I think about those first two values in particular, respect and integrity, and then you think about how Enron actually ran their business. Um, you know, the, those videos, in retrospect, uh, despite winning awards at the time, now are an object of mockery, and rightfully so. So to cut to the chase here, I think it really is about saying, uh, let's get the, uh, the first four frequencies right, and then let's figure out how to most effectively use our formal communication to amplify those signals. I think that's really helpful. Go ahead. So I just say, you know, at the end of the day, people will always watch what you do first, and then they'll listen to what you say second. And it's kind of like our, you know, our parents taught us that our actions speak louder than words. So they will always default to watching your actions. What happens on frequency one through four? And if it's in sync on frequency five, if your words match, then you're in great shape. But as soon as your words, you know, fail to match all of the actions they've observed and all of the experiences they've had around you, you know, that's when, um, you know, that's when people will fail to listen to your words. And that's, that's what brings trouble. Can you give an example of a case study where they said the right things? You talked about Enron, and that's a beautiful example. Do you have another one where where they appeared right, but in fact the formal communication was just um, out of alignment with the others? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that Lynn and I feel pretty sheepish about, just going back to Wells Fargo, is that um, we wrote a chapter for a – uh, a well-known and highly respected graduate uh, textbook uh, called Reputation Management, and we wrote the organizational alignment chapter. And um, this is a few years back, and, and Lynn and I and uh, other co-authors uh, actually uh, venerated uh, the great storytelling engine that they have in place at uh, Wells Fargo and how they really connect the dots to all the decisions that they're making internally and how and, and how all of that supports their uh, core purpose to help uh, people live the American dream. So it was not only dis- disheartening <laughs> uh, for uh, us to see all the stuff that happened in Wells Fargo and all the all the uh, bad things that happened for customers and then and then for employees, but it was also personally. Embarrassing for us to have in print uh, us uh, lauding the, the great formal communications they do when it turns out that was a lot of veneer. You know, it's an interesting time, and I think this speaks to the bigger cultural problem uh, across the globe that in the past we've been able to get away with formal communication that was just erroneous and yeah. it, it was less likely to surface. Now, Wells Fargo is a brilliant example and I appreciate you uh, sharing with our listeners exactly how painful that was to you 
I, I can think of a range of others that companies have been touted as, as leading in on whatever measure and and then we've surfaced something in on Twitter or wherever uh, that they have been inconsistent at best in their behavior. And Enron's another beautiful example that they were, uh, appeared to be top of the world. And I was working with Accenture slash Arthur Anderson at the time. And as their accountants, we were giving them, I assume a clean, I, I didn't work on that project, but I assume we were giving them a clean bill of health and then they implode. And consequently, Anderson, uh, the audit firm went away as well. So when these things fail, the consequences are big for hundreds of thousands of people, employees, and then the the tangentially impacted, and then everyone who invested in them, their you know people in retirement funds and life savings. Yeah, you know, so as outsiders, I think it's really hard to know what's really going on in a culture. But I think, uh, you know, to me, the the lesson learned here, besides, you know, the risk of any time you sort of lionize any organization or, you know, have it put anybody on a pedestal is, and the dangers of doing that, to me, I think the real lesson here, it goes back to what we said about being long-term greedy. Because a lot of times... I think people inside organizations go, there is something that is not right about this culture. And I, as a leader, have some responsibilities to do about it. But if I calculate my, you know, what is in my self-interest in terms of what helps me get through today or the week or the end of the quarter, uh, the, the optimal decision with that time horizon is probably don't do a darn thing. Keep your mouth shut. But if you look out from a longer time horizon, if you allow yourself to be, as we say provocatively, long-term greedy, then you might go, you know what? Something is not right. It's, it's, there's great risk that it's eventually going to come and bite us in the butt. We need to do something to fix our culture before it gets worse. Thank you. And I think that's a great note to end this segment on the idea that if my focus is short term and I'm responding to the stock market or whomever, and we've been programmed to be short term focused, if that is truly my primary focus, I am inclined to be at risk of having a culture that promotes uh, inappropriate behavior. So I encourage our listeners during break to think about is your organization's focus short term, long term, or some of both? And we'll be right back talking about how to create strategic advantage with your culture. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. 
visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. We are talking about leadership signals that turn culture into competitive advantage. So in the third segment, we want to talk about some practical advice. So, so can you give us some insight into practical tactics that leaders and organizations can take to broadcast culture-defining messages and, and maybe uh, based on each of the five signals? Sure. And, you know, since we were talking about the fifth frequency and we were talking about how uh, it's the least important, I don't want listeners to get the idea that it's unimportant. Um, but we do have some very practical advice here that I'll, I'll hit real quickly when it comes to your formal communication. There was a, a theorist named Herb Simon who back in the 50s said that a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Now, his observation was that was true 60 years ago. Can you imagine how much worse the, uh, you know, how much greater the wealth of information is today versus 60 years ago, and therefore how much worse the poverty of attention is. So one of the things that we are big on when it comes to that fifth frequency is uh, recognizing that you are competing for attention. You are competing for your employees' attention. There's a reason we call it paying attention because it's a scarce resource, and so, you know, and when employees are making a decision to pay attention to you, that means that that's attention that they are not putting into, you know, Facebook or uh, adjusting the lineup of their fantasy football team. So you have to be compelling. You have to be relevant. One thing that organizations uh, uh, can do a better job of in a lot of cases is telling a consistent story. So telling the story of their strategy about as a story about where we're going and how we're going to get there. And instead of getting bored with that story after you've heard yourself say it six times, just stay on the same storyline. Continue to connect the dots for people because one of the things we found is that uh, that when we call it the puke point, actually, that a lot of times when leaders are so sick of hearing themselves say the same set of messages, tell the same narrative, uh, that that they're ready to lose their lunch, it's actually at the same point in time when employees are just starting to get it. So there is some, something to be said for storytelling, something to be said for repetition if you're competing for attention. Second thing I'll, I'll say on that is that uh, uh, it's really important to equip local-level leaders, supervisors, managers, the people closest to the people doing the work as preferred information sources. A lot of times 
those local level leaders are kept in the dark. And so when employees are asking them to really give them the, the, the scoop on what the heck is happening, they go, well, you know, you, you know what those, those folks at the top of the uh, food chain are, are doing, and they all roll their eyes, and that's not helpful. That's not helpful to culture. So uh, one of the most important things you can do is to really spend a lot of time with frontline leaders, whether they're supervisors, managers, anything else, uh, ask, letting them ask you the tough questions that employees are asking them, giving them information that they is not in corporate speak, doesn't sound like a consultant role that they'll feel comfortable actually sharing with their employees so they can reduce uncertainty and keep people focused on what's important, which is presumably delivering business results. So do you do things like uh, standard talking points that every, everyone at the front line would have so they're not surprised on the big, um, big questions at least? Absolutely. But one of the things I'll say is a lot of times you go into large organizations and the talking points are, are glossy, they're spin, and they don't actually answer the questions that most people are asking. Uh, we, we, there's a tool that I can, I'll de- I can describe in 30 seconds. We got it from TJ and Sandor Larkin uh, in a book they wrote 30 years ago called Communicating Change, and it's a really powerful tool. I want to give them credit where credit's due. And they said and we've seen this play out a hundred times, is that if you want to be relevant, you equip supervisors with probability buckets. And you say, listen, we don't know anything, everything that's going to happen, but here's what we know is going to happen, or what, here's what we think as of today. It's definitely going to happen, probably going to happen, may or may not happen, which we truly don't know. It's not like we've made a decision, we're keeping it from you, we really don't know. Here's what's probably not going to happen that you're worried about, and here's what's definitely not going to happen that you're worried about or that there's rumors circulating about. And when, and we've just seen time again the power of plugging information that's actually relevant to employees into those five probability buckets. It just goes such a long way. You put those in the hands of, of leaders now they can answer the questions. Now they can adri- now they can provide an alternative to the rumor mill, and that just uh, goes such a long way to reducing distraction and maintaining focus on what you hope people are focused on, uh, doing their jobs, yeah. delivering business. So that gets back um, to paying attention. Yeah, that, that that's one of the big ways that you compete for attention on frequency five. The other, the other really practical coaching point or signal boost for frequency five, which is a little bit counterintuitive, a lot of times leaders think, you know, the more important the message, the more we have to, you know, we, we have to make it into something special. So we need a lot of, we need some new jargon, we need to give it a special name, you know, a fancy title to the initiative or to this new effort. We're going to put it on posters and plaster those on the walls. We're going to give everybody a mouse pad, right? And so we, we turn this thing into something, you know, really special. And that's, that's what we should do with really important messages. And in reality, the more important the message, the, the more organic the leader should be in its delivery, meaning... What really resonates with people is when my leader has a conversation, a real down-to-earth, authentic, genuine conversation with me and my teammates, and it's in language that I can understand and language that makes sense to us given the work that we do and the context that we work in, right? And so it's a little bit counterintuitive that, you know, important messages actually should be more organic, sort of more naturally spoken versus, you know, those are the ones we need to turn into like a big, you know, a special effort with a special name, you know, uh, attached to it. 
I think that's a great point. So let's move on to uh, the other frequencies and how do you, uh, uh, what are the practical recommendations to attend to them? And we have about six minutes left. So I want to make sure we cover all of your main points. Well, that's a, good, that's a great challenge, Maureen. So I, I, <laughs> I know, it's a whole book in six minutes. <laughs> well, um, you know, a couple of things that I, I think are important. Um, just going back to, uh, just going back to uh, frequency one, your decisions and actions. I think uh, we're going to be reiterating here something that I think we, a, a theme that we've been hitting throughout this conversation, and that is that the most effective leaders do a, hot, a lot more doing and a lot less talking about what they're doing. That, um, uh, that uh, people are, uh, in this day and age, probably more cynical or at least skeptical than they've ever been. You're broadcasting signals all the time. And so uh, it's important to self-monitor your signals and to say, uh, regardless of what I intend to do, what is it that I am, what, what, is, the lo- what is the probable interpretation of what I am role modeling? Um, the, so, so, you know, when it comes to decisions and actions, a lot of it is really just um, being very conscious about the, the signals that you're sending through those actions. So as we say, role model the behavior you want to see more of. On frequency two, I think a big insight here is, one, that a lot of times organizations have aligned their incentives with things that are not quite what they want. So, for example, lots of organizations say they want more teamwork, but if all you have are incentives that uh, reward individual behavior, then you are probably not going to get more teamwork. A lot of organizations say they want people to uh, fail fast and learn from mistakes, treat them as intellectual capital. But if you have a long track record of, of um, that when people are on experiments that actually uh, need to be cut because they're not working, uh, that those people get sent out to pasture, or that there's no uh, recognition for their work, or that their uh, you know that their economic self-interest is in doubt then they're probably going to be finding ways to extend that project as opposed to um, doing what you want them to do, which is to fail fast and move on to something else. So a second big thing when it comes to innovative leadership is really saying, am I really aligning my rewards with what I want to see more of? If we've got any of that six minutes left, um, we'd love to talk to you about moments of truth because I think that's an important thing and, and something that Lynn spends a lot of time on. Great. I I want to amplify one point and then we'll move into that. When you talk about decisions and actions, the idea that you hit that I think is really under uh, under discussed for leaders, so I just want to throw it out there, is we know what we intend when we do something and say something, but the recognition that often what's going on in my head is not the interpretation people have when they intersect with me. Uh, and so testing did what I thought I conveyed, convey to people just seems absolutely critical. So on that note, now let's go to moments of truth. So, so moments of truth is is actually a really powerful frequency three um, signal boost, and this is about equipping your people for moments of truth. So, a moment of truth is, I mean, we all know what it is, sort of just in sort of a phrase, but in this context, the situation where doing the right thing competes with some other option. In a situation where they're mutually exclusive, you can't have both. So, an example would be the crossroad between speed 
and quality. So maybe as an organization, we talk all the time about quality and how quality is the most important thing, and that's the thing that we Yet you've asked me to do something um, that requires me to be quick and to be so quick about it that I actually can't get it done to the quality standard we're used to, you know, producing. And so now I have to make a decision. I'm in a moment of truth. If I'm not in a situation where I can go back to my leader and go, hey, hey, wait a second, did you really want me to get it done this fast or should I work to the quality standard we're used to? I've got to make a decision in that moment. I'm faced with a moment of truth. And uh, employees are faced with moments, you know, moments of truth constantly, little ones and big ones all day long. And they're often left to their own devices to determine which road to take, you know, when there's a choice between speed and quality or any two other things that compete. And, you know, at the end of the day, when we ask leaders, you know, we'll give an example and say, what would, what would your team do? What would a person that works for you, what would they do in this situation? And sometimes they look at us like, well, you know, I'm not sure. Here's what I think they would do. And, and the answer is actually really simple. The answer is they will do whatever it is that they believe you expect of them, whatever they think you will support as a leader, and ultimately what you will reward, either in the short term or the long term. So if I think you're going to be really, really angry at me if I don't get this thing done quickly, then I'm going to get it done quickly and I'm going to sacrifice quality. So the the key, the the secret boost or the coaching point is to be crystal clear with people. Equip them for moments of truth by letting them know exactly what you expect. Be clear about expectations. Let them know that you will always have their back if they do the thing that we drive to do. So if it's quality, that you'll always have their back when they choose quality over speed. You have to make sure your rewards line up with that. And again, when you think long-term greedy, that all of your, um, your other decisions and actions are also in sync with that. Thank you. I think that's really clear and really important. The idea that it, I have, we have clear agreements would be my terminology. People know what I expect and they, back to your psychological safety, they feel safe acting on those agreements or expectations because you have built the culture all the way through. So let me go through the five frequencies again and then we'll wrap up. So um, how do you ensure business culture is an asset to your business? The answer couldn't be clearer. Intentionally and unintentionally, and often we create culture unintentionally by not attending to the five frequencies. So pay attention to your decisions and actions. Pay attention to the alignment between what you say you want, the rewards and recognition. In, ensure that what you tolerate and don't tolerate, and so that again gets back to consequences. We say that these are our core values and we look at the ROI on them. Ensure that my behavior in taking action and rewarding is aligned with what I say I value. Then I pay attention to how do I show up informally uh, while I am not going to dye my hair green. Um, it is all of all of the things we do and don't do that I make very deliberate choices about our branding and my behavior. And then finally important, but not um, maybe not as important and often misused is how do we attend to formal communication? So if I'm trying to make uh, an outdated culture, maybe better uh, make a good culture. Great. Um, I need to attend to all five of these frequencies with consistency and and attack it like I would attack any other uh, transformation goal. So what we've got about one minute left. What do you want to add to that? And how do people get in touch with you? You really nailed that, Maureen. 
Uh, I'd invite your listeners to go to the book website. It's at fivefrequencies.com, and you can either spell out five or you can just put the numeral five, fivefrequencies.com. There you can download for free the book's introduction. You can read more about uh, DBS, the bank in Singapore, and their culture change. You can read more about uh, Commissioner Eric Jones and his cultural turnaround in the, the city of Detroit Fire Department. You can read more about Cindy Paskey with the green hair and everything else she did besides having green hair turn her culture into a source of competitive advantage. And then you can also, uh, lots of people are, tell us they're using the books in, uh, in uh, business book clubs, and so you can also download a discussion guide at that website. Fabulous. It sounds like absolutely great resources. And in a time where our environments are changing so quickly, it it seems that having a culture that is aligned with the things we value is absolutely a competitive advantage. So I encourage our listeners to reach out, read the book, do the book groups, do what it takes to, to align your culture with what you say you really value. As listeners, I value your feedback. I would love to hear from you either by email info at innovateleader.com connect with me on LinkedIn just send me a message and I'll connect with you or Innovating Leadership on Facebook again we welcome your comments what are we doing well how is this work impacting you we try very hard to make sure that you have actionable recommendations that you can put into practice immediately I'd love to hear the results you're getting thank you for joining us and we hope you join us again soon Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.